Hey everyone, welcome into the fourth iteration of the Mental Game Podcast. I'm Sam Brief, so happy to have you. As always, thanks for the support, for sharing, for listening, all of that. So now I'll cut to the chase. Today's guest is Adam Amin, TV voice of the Chicago Bulls, of the NFL on Fox, of the MLB on Fox. Now Adam is a longtime mentor and frankly, an idol of mine because he, like me, is a suburban Chicago kid. And now he's the voice of the freaking Bulls. And he's also doing Fox NFL games. If you watched any of the new look Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the last couple weeks, you saw Adam and Mark Schlereth on the call for those games. But Adam is someone who also, in addition to being a really good broadcaster, frankly, kick-ass broadcaster, is really introspective. He's been open about his life, his relationship with his father, who passed away two years ago and had a profound impact on Adam. And he's really open about mental health and about his process and how that affects his life and his career. So I had a really good conversation with Adam and decided to cut this into two parts. So today you'll hear part one. Later in the week, you'll hear part two. In part one, Adam talks more about his career, some of the highlights of his career. If you're a college basketball fan, you might remember the very famous Arike Agumbawale game winners for Notre Dame women's basketball in the 2018 Final Four. Well, Adam was on the call for those, and he really took me through his mental process of how that all went down. So in episode one, more on Adam the broadcaster, and in the second part, which again you'll hear next week, more on Adam's relationship with his father, his father's passing, and how Adam dealt with that and how that impacted his life. So without further ado, here is part one of The Mental Game, episode four, with Adam Amin. Adam Amin joins me on today's Mental Game pod from his apartment in Chicago. Adam, wonderful to talk to you again. How are you? Doing all right, Sam. Great to talk to you as well. So what's on tap this weekend? Should be uh, fun. A little trip to Los Angeles for some uh, Rams-Giants on Sunday on Fox and uh, getting excited to to cover Aaron Donald. And uh, a lot of my Giants friends are very nervous because the Giants are playing very poorly right now at 0-3. So uh, that'll be be fun to be uh, on a broadcast in those two markets this weekend. It'll be uh, an exciting time for our crew. Doing NFL on Fox, I'm sure you, like me, have spent a lot of your life watching those games. What's it like to actually do those games? Uh, the when the music first played, you know that famous trumpeting theme music, uh, and it was in my headset, and they're like, "All right, get ready, we're on the air in five and like you're hearing the music, it's kind of jarring. And uh, let's hear it. You know, like <laughs> you want me to like sing it now? Yeah, uh, you know the da 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 da. That I mean, it's you hear that it's it's this fanfare, right? And like you said, I've been watching these games for most of my life. You've been watching them most of your life. Uh, most fans have been watching these, you know, for the better part of three decades now. So when they hear that music, there's something kind of significant about it. It gives you a, a sense of where you are and, and what you're about to watch. And I've always had that watching games and you just, it's all subliminal. It's not something you necessarily think about until you get into the booth and you put the headset on and you're five minutes away from your first NFL call on national TV and you hear the music for the intro and it's like, oh, this is real. This is uh, this is real. This 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 is something that matters to a lot of people. Uh, it's it's weird. It's weird, but it's really exciting. I've I've had a great. Uh, I'll use this word, and I hope it's you. It's uh, perceived properly. I've had a great buzz 
off of doing these games the first three weeks. It's been really exciting. What sort of feeling do you get when you hear that music? There's there's a lot of goosebumps, like because it's it's part of the, the the grandeur of it, of what music kind of associates with people's minds. Like, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people are like me, where when they hear soundtracks, like I I love soundtracks and I love songs that have been on like movie soundtracks, and because you associate multiple things with that, you associate not only the sound, but you associate a visual with it. And oftentimes both of those things or one of those things comes with an emotional feel or a sense memory. And I think for a lot of us who are so entrenched in sports, when you hear or see certain songs or images, you get a sense memory from it because you just associate those moments with a certain sound or a certain feeling or whatever. All these things are interconnected. So for me, actually hearing things like theme music and especially as a broadcaster now for the last however many years, it's you associate that with you're about to introduce. My job is to introduce the game to an audience when you hear whatever theme music plays for that particular broadcast. So my job is to be enthusiastic and be energetic and, and be excited, which I am all of those things when we've worked so hard, especially on football. We've worked so hard all week to get prepared for the game and to, and to deliver it to a large audience and you know, we work really hard to be at our best on TV. Like, I work very diligently to be at my best for the three and a half hours that you're going to watch me on TV. That's my livelihood, certainly, but it's also something that I'm passionate about and, I, and it's something I enjoy and I take a lot of pride in it. So it upsets me when I suck at it or it elates me when I feel like I did a good job. So all of these things are associated with being the presenter the liaison to a fan at home or a person at the bar or whatever to the game you're the liaison you're that conduit and part of that is being energetic enthusiastic exciting palatable all those things and for me like when the theme music starts when i hear when i worked at espn and i heard the nba theme music in my headset i got excited to talk about lebron james or jimmy butler or whomever it was part of what i associate with the scene the sound and the feeling of doing this job. So that music does matter to me. And I think a lot of people may not feel it as deeply as I do for obvious reasons. It's not their job to, but I do. And that gets associated with a lot of different feelings and senses. I am so glad you chose theme music as your anchor for that discussion <laughs> because I've been a theme music nut my whole life. I mean, I, I sure. literally have a li list. I have the songs on my phone. And sure, yeah. I, even I on my it. little iPod Nano growing up, I had, you know, Epothemus or whatever it's called, the CBS one. Sure. And, the CBS NFL theme. Yep. yep. And part of sports coming back after that long hiatus, part of what made me so jazzed to sit down and watch the games was to hear that theme music. And for you to have that in the headset must be really special. The one thing I'm curious about is as your career has advanced, of course, the games and moments you're calling get bigger and bigger, right? You were doing college radio at Valpo, and now you're doing the NFL on Fox. But you're also much more experienced and more equipped to get ready for a big game. Right. How nervous do you get before a game, and how does it compare to college, Adam Amin, getting nervous? I don't know if there's that much of a difference at my peaks. You know what I mean? Like if I'm at my peak level of nervousness or anxiety at age 20, 
I don't think it's that much different from my peak level of anxiety at age 33. That being said, I spend a lot more time in between the extremes now than I used to. I used to be, you know, at a if, if we're going from let's let's keep it simple from zero to ten, ten being the most anxious or nervous or whatever, you know, sweaty like that sweaty feeling you get. Those feelings that are associated with that physical state, if that's a ten, I would spend more time than not at a ten when I was first starting to do this. And and I should say when not only when I was first starting to do this job in college, but when I first started doing this job in minor league baseball, when I first started doing this job for my second minor league team in New Jersey, when I first started doing this at ESPN on a high school football game, when I did my first ABC broadcast, when I did my first NCAA tournament game, when I did my first MLB playoff game, NBA playoff game, uh, now doing major league baseball on Fox, NFL on Fox, because I under, I've understood that I'm constantly, and this is something that, that has been kind of taught to us by generations past, as a broadcaster, in a, and, and this probably applies for a lot of jobs that are anchored in a subjective industry. This is a very subjective industry, which adds to a lot of our anxieties on a consistent basis. But when it's a subjective industry, you're constantly reintroducing yourself to new people. It's not as if I do a good job on a game and now my meal ticket is written for the next 25 years. That's not how this works. Ian Eagle has been one of the big, uh, biggest mentors in my forget career in my life. And he always said professionally, you're only as good as your last broadcast, which means if you screwed up in your last broadcast, you don't feel good about it. That means you, you have improvements to make. And if you had a great broadcast the last time out, awesome, that's gone now. And the next time you take you know, uh, a headset and put it on and you're in front of a new, uh, in front of a new broadcast, you're, you're settling into a new broadcast. You're also settling in not completely, but to a lot of people, you're being, you're introducing yourself for the first time. And that always stuck in my head because I knew I couldn't slack off. There's nothing, there's nothing that says because I have a process or because I have a certain, uh, baseline of quality, I think, after doing this job for so many years. Like, you you develop baselines, right? My baseline at 19 was very low. I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have a lot of skill, necessarily. I haven't done this enough to have an, under, an understanding or a feel for every moment. And the more you do this, you have that feel and understanding for a lot more. But every time you settle into a broadcast, you have to restart. You're hitting the reset button. You're starting fresh in terms of preparation, even if you're doing a team you've seen already, you're constantly resetting. And you may have an audience of 7 million on a game. Not all those 7 million, A, know who you are, or B, care who you are, or C, are going to remember who you are. And again, it's not their job to do those things. Your job is to just get in, be palatable, be accurate, be factual, be somewhat entertaining, be excited in the moments that require some excitement, and get out without messing anything up or bothering anybody. Now, that's going to happen because people are just going to perceive what they want to perceive. And they don't like you at, a, at a, an excitement level of 7. They want you to be at a 10 every time. Some people get annoyed when you're at a 10 because it's for the other team and not for their team, which means you're a, you know, you're, you're a terrible broadcaster and I wish you'd shut up. It's just part of the, the subjective nature of this business. But your job is to start fresh every day. And regardless of the anxieties that come with that, regardless of the nervousness that comes with doing the job itself, 
if I feel prepared, if I feel engaged and immersed, my anxieties as time goes on continuously go down and I spend a lot more time between zero and seven rather than at a 10 constantly the way I was when I was just starting out at a new place or just starting out when I was younger. I want to focus on that last part when you said how important it is to be engaged and immersed because I've found broadcasting for two years now in the American Association where I know you got your start sure. over in Gary. Yep. The most important thing I've found is being focused on air. And I might go into a broadcast totally clear-minded, had a great day, have nothing to worry about, life is great, sit down, I'm totally focused, I do the game, great. Well, maybe the next day I have something going on and I'm really anxious before the game, I had a crap day, or you know my heart's beating fast, or I'm depressed mm -hmm. about something. I've still, by 7.05, got to shut that off, and yep. be immersed in the game. And that I've found is one of the most difficult things to do. Athletes have to do it. Coaches have to do it. Broadcasters, any performer has to do it. How do you do it? I think uh, part of it is experience because I have gotten to the point over, you know, a thousand plus broadcasts, you know, in the last 15 years, you know, somewhere between a thousand and 1500 ever since I, I started doing this regularly at, at 19 in college. Does so, that make you feel although, old? A thousand, a little bit, a, a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's. I think. I think. I think. Saying saying age nineteen and saying I started at nineteen and realizing I'm thirty three now. That's probably what gets me feeling a little older. But but yes, fair point. Um, I think we we talked about having a baseline, right? Like my baseline of quality has gone up. I expect from myself, based on my level of experience, based on the high level high profile events I've been lucky enough to call and get experience in, my baseline should continue to climb. So the worst, if I'm having a terrible day, if I'm not having a great day, if I'm not feeling 100% focused, I expect from myself a certain baseline of quality. If you're not, like, I don't know what I would do or how I would react if all of a sudden I fell off so hard that I couldn't even muster a baseline of, you know, common sense of calling games. If I forgot the rules, if I forgot people's names, if I forgot the structure, I'd be very disappointed in myself. If I misspeak, which happens way more often than maybe you at home realize, again, not your job to listen for three and a half hours and break down every word we say, but we have plenty of misspeaks or mistakes, or I'm sure we use syntax improperly and we have bad grammar once in a while. It's, it's again, we're, we're trying to do this without a script. You know, it's three and a half hours of unscripted chaos that has some structure built around it that often gets pulled and shaped and molded in different ways during that three and a half hours. So we're, we're all flying by the seat of our pants in some sense. So I need my preparation, my understanding of the rules, my basic understanding of the teams, names, numbers, where are you from, what, what happened recently, who's hot, who's not, things of that nature. So at the very least... I can come in with a baseline of preparation and a baseline of quality. And the quality gets higher, the more comfortable I feel. And the more comfortable I feel, or that higher level of comfort, I should say, comes from preparation, focus, trying to stay in a little bit of a routine. Now, one thing I think is dangerous, just in my own personal experience about routines, and I think you'll understand this, Sam, because baseball, especially when you work for a team, you're doing it every day. 
and it is a routine sport. It is a sport of habit, and these are all creatures of habit, the players, the coaches, managers, and ourselves in a lot of ways too. One thing I've found that's a little dangerous about very strict routine is that if you can't do exactly what you want in the exact form and fashion you're used to in your routine, your brain has a tendency to freak you out a little bit and say, oh, you didn't do that one thing. You're going to have a, a really bad night, which may or may not be true. If you don't write out your scorecard or type in the names uh, in your notes properly or whatever, like, yeah, that's important to your routine for the, for, for the strict, you know, uh, for the strict aspect of just getting things right, which is a majority of your job. But I've, I've noticed that if I have a couple of things I know I need to do, but I know how to get around this. I know I can let off a little bit here. Or, hey, I know I need to do this on Sunday morning. Let me make sure I have all this other stuff taken care of Saturday night. And it's just putting yourself in the best possible position to feel comfort, even if you haven't done all of the things that you feel like you have to do. There are really only a few things for me that I know I have to do, and the rest truly will take care of itself. I just don't want to be in that position. I want to be in the position where I've done, I've checked all the boxes off my list and I feel comfortable about the scenario I'm walking into. I'm comfortable with the with the material. I'm comfortable with the elements of the broadcast itself. I'm comfortable with how the format is is shaped and created and I know what point A, point B and point C are and I will get you there because that's my job and I'm more comfortable doing that without a safety net now than I was at age 19, 20, 21, et cetera. I'm particularly drawn to what you said about routines, especially because you actually forced me to change up a little bit of my routine sure. that at first made me uncomfortable. Now, those of you listening who are not play-by-play broadcasters, you might not <laughs> fully relate to the nitty-gritty of this, but I promise we'll move on to more generalities in a bit. But Adam, you and I were on the phone about a year and a half ago I was between my first and second season with the Dogs in the American Association after calling some great Dogs Railcats games, your former (laughs) team in the AA. You told me something that you did when you were in minor league baseball that, honestly, when you told me, I was like, oh, no way, I'm going to do that. You said, (laughs) Sam, I noticed that I spent all this time filling out my scorebook meticulously, wasted a lot of time on it. So because I was also in charge of the press box, I would print the scorecard in full, just the exact way I like the format and use that, and it saved me so much time. And honestly, when you first told me that, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, have my, I have my routine. <laughs> I fell out my Bob Carpenter scorebook, color-coded, takes me an hour. I, I don't give a crap. Sure. And then the season came around, and you know, I, I kind of went back to that idea, and I was like, you know what? That, I should try that thing Adam told me to do. And over the course of the season, Adam, it might have saved me seven years But that little change in my routine, at first I wrote it off, but it ended up being great. So that's an aside, but I thank you for that, for saving me seven years. I think there's a little bit of a a good lesson in there of Mm -hmm. of adaptability, malleability, flexibility. I think those are important. And that's, that's what I mean more so about the danger of routines, that if you're not flexible to get away from the routine that you've set up for yourself, if you're not flexible, or you're, or maybe even a better way to think about it, and I think this is what you did, looking for just better ways to get you into that same mode of confidence, preparation, immersiveness, 
you're still getting to that point based on the information. You're just getting there in what I think, what I thought at the time when I told you and, and what seemingly you're, you're saying to me now, it's a more efficient way of getting there, which takes a little bit of a load off. I actually changed up my routine this year again. And I went back to the Bob Carpenter scorebook again. Very, very niche things for for uh, a very small audience, but but uh, I, I hope you'll you'll appreciate the point of it. And I felt so much more comfortable and so much more engaged, and I felt like my recall was just better, and it made me feel more confident. And this is after 13, 14 years of calling baseball games that I changed up my routine again. I still got to the point that I wanted to in terms of information. I still wanted to get to a point of immersiveness where I felt truly at, at one with all this information that I needed to know, and I felt comfortable with the background and the day-to-day, -day, the, the big picture and the small stuff, the day-to-day -day stuff, and that's after a decade and a half, and I don't think if I, if I would have done that if I were a less flexible person, and I think that's a lesson that you, you have to work on. You have to trick your brain sometimes into saying, hey, this might be a little bit better. Let's try it. Let's try it and see how it goes. And I think that was a big benefit for me. At least for me, COVID and this whole situation taught me to just fly by the seat of my pants a little, a little sure. bit more. And, you know, obviously it's been a, a terrible situation for some reasons. And there have been some silver linings, at least for me, that's been a silver lining is just kind of hey, saying, hey, all right, I'm going to roll with the punches here. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to change up my routine and I'm going to be the same guy at the end of the day. And that was something I certainly learned this year in terms of my mental approach to my craft. And I think a lot of athletes had to do that, too, with all the changes in their protocol, travel, yada, yada, yada. Yep, I, I agree with that. I think uh, I think it's important. I'm glad that you're able to find some silver linings. I know it's tough and I don't blame anybody who has a, has a little bit of a, a more of a dreary worldview now than they did maybe, you know, eight months ago. I understand that. Uh, it's hard to battle through that. I, I think whatever silver lining you find right now, especially just grab onto it and appreciate it and, and try to be appreciative of that as much as possible. It's a, it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's important. 2018 women's final four. One of the coolest sports moments I've ever witnessed, you were on the call for. Notre Dame's Enrique Agumbawale hits what amounted to be a game-winning shot in the semifinal against UConn, and then two days later in the national championship game against Mississippi State, your call went viral. A little iPhone selfie video of you making the call went viral. Take me through the before, during, and after of what's going on in your head, in your stomach, in your mind during those historic moments. We'll start with the first game, the, the semifinal game. Uh, it was the second game of our night. We did two semifinal games. The first one had gone to overtime. So it was a great back-and-forth game. There was a shot with five seconds left by Mississippi State uh, by Roshunda Johnson to tie the game. It was a three-pointer, and she tied it with seconds to go. Louisville had a shot to... Uh, for or to win it at the end of regulation and missed the shot and the tip in. So I was already like revved up. We had a great you know moment at the end. Eventually, uh, Mississippi State went on to win an overtime by 10. So that was my first ever Final Four game, my first ever Final Four broadcast. So the fact that that was already in the books probably settled me down a little bit for the second game. And there was so much back and forth in that game. Another game that went to overtime. I think it was the first time 
in the history of the men's or women's Final Four that both semifinal games had gone to overtime. So it was a historic night. Uh, I mean, it was it was two fascinating games. But at the end of that second game, we're in overtime, and I had to be ready. Obviously, it's a weird balance you're trying to find of being physically relaxed, calm, mentally still, yet as focused as maybe I'd ever been in my life at that point, knowing what the stakes were. And for a little bit of context, I, I think that was the, the weekend that I was kind of thrust into a, a little bit of a higher profile. I'd been working at ESPN for six and a half years at that point. I had been slowly working my way up into higher profile events, higher profile games and broadcasts. Uh, I, I'd been you know, fairly steady for most of my career. And I thought I was capable of calling moments like this because you get, you know, over the over a six and a half year period. And, and on top of that, I was doing NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA games on the radio. I had called a LeBron James buzzer beater in the playoffs the year prior. So I had enough experience or a lot or a decent amount of experience for just six and a half years, just because the volume of games I was doing was so high. So going through all these different scenarios, I'd called a couple of buzzer beaters in basketball. I'd called a couple of walk-off home runs in softball and baseball. Uh, I, I've called some big football games that had gone to overtime or big moments. I'd, I'd called the Iron Bowl, the kick six game on national radio. I had a sense maybe of how to approach these situations. And I'd mess some up, not like egregiously, but I had had moments where I was like, man, I didn't really like how I called that. And I think those were all building blocks. You know, going back to the minor league baseball days and calling walk-off home runs, going back to college and calling big moments and just having like a sense, like just an idea of how it is supposed to sound, how you sound and what you have to do to get to point B, which is how you want to sound from point A, how you do sound. So there's a lot of elements to that, but it's all building blocks. There was a foundation built. So when I got to that moment with 10 seconds left in the semis and overtime in a tie game, it's 89 up. The inbound comes into Jessica Shepard, the center for Notre Dame, and she's kind of running towards the rim. So immediately I'm like, hey, this could be it. Like my brain is already fully understanding that any one of these moments could be the biggest moment. So what you're fighting in that moment is you don't want to go overboard. You need to know every detail of situation. How much time's left? Are there any timeouts? What's the score? So, all right, it doesn't matter if it's a two or a three. The shot that they take is potentially going to be for the win, which uh, I note that because that's important as well, for the win. Keep that in mind. So Shepard's running to the rim, and I go, Shepard, just a, a, in a, an emphatic name call. You know, it's TV. You're not, you don't have to describe everything. You're just captioning it. Shepard ends up veering towards the right corner and kind of running the baseline. So then I settle back into my chair again. I go, okay, that's not the shot yet. She's bringing it back out. She gives it. Uh, eventually, the ball gets into Enrique Ogumbawali's hands. And Ogumbawali is close to midcourt. And when she gets the ball from Marina Mabry, I say, 10 seconds to go for a trip to the national championship. And in my head, and I'm sure in every broadcaster's head, you're fighting. You're going, I should talk more. I should say something here. I could build up this wonderful call. And I fought in my head in those moments, those seconds, I'm fighting myself, going, don't talk. You don't need to say everything that's happening. 
we did our jobs very well that night. I was very proud of our whole crew. My analysts, Rebecca Lobo and Carol Lawson, our reporter, Holly Rowe, Jim Zaroli, our producer, Jimmy Platt, our director, and everybody who was in the truck that night. We all had restraint. We didn't need to make the moment bigger with what we were doing. We wanted to let the moment, which was already a huge moment, play out, and we're just the supplement to it. We're the captioners. We're the, we're the side piece to this. So I'm fighting in those four or five seconds, maybe it was even a little shorter than that, how long she had the ball, and there was a screen switch, which, again, I didn't call. I didn't need to call out the screen switch. I could have, but I'm just saying let this moment happen. And when she rises up with a couple seconds left, I just say, Ogunbowale, because I've already set up the moment. It's for a trip to the national championship. You don't need to make it bigger than it is. And the shot goes through, and in between her releasing it and the shot going through, in my head, again, I'm fighting myself. You should say, for the win, because you hear that in big calls all the time in basketball. Here's Jordan, for the win, good, you know, whatever it is. You want to build that moment. But in my head, because I felt calm and engaged and immersed in this material, I knew the details. UConn doesn't have any timeouts, and the shot goes up with like two and a half seconds. It may not be for the win. It may just be to take the lead. So I don't say for the win. I just say, Ogumbawale. And I look back on that call now, and that moment between the shot going up and the shot going in, it is a breathless moment. There are probably people in, the, in those stands in Columbus, Ohio, probably people sitting on their couch in South Bend, Indiana. There were probably people at a bar in you know Stores, Connecticut, stopping everything they were doing and holding their breath for that exact one and a half seconds that that ball was in the air, just like I was. And then when it went through, I, everything in me, and you can see it in the video, I leap out of the chair and just say good in this long kind of extended crescendo. Then I have to be situationally aware again. And because I was still engaged, because I had prepared myself for the two hours of that broadcast, and in particular, those last 15 seconds when the inbound pass came in, I remember taking a big, deep breath and just thinking, hey, the whole, this is all in front of you. Just react. It's all organic at this point. And it was all those building blocks of 12 years of minor league baseball, high school basketball, low-level college football into bigger and bigger moments that led me the, to this, to say, have the, sh the call that I had, and then reset myself and say, one second remaining, no timeouts for UConn, and reset my orientation to the floor. Williams, uh, Gabby Williams had this long pass. Williams down the floor. Katie Lou Samuelson catches it and has a shot to win it, or to tie it, I should say. Samuelson missed the shot. I don't have to say she missed it, and I just say Notre Dame with the win off to the title game. And the crowd's going nuts, and they're celebrating, and I didn't have to say another word after that, and we just let, let the pictures play out. And you can see it on the video of that semifinal. Uh, I just kind of take a breath and like I'm stiffened up after I made the call just to make sure I was like, okay, is it over? Can I, can I relax? Is it over? And I'm looking at my phone for some reason, like, like what time is it? And I put my phone away and I just felt it in that moment. And I collapsed like my body, you see like everything leaving my body. I collapse and I put my shoulder or uh, my head on Carol Lawson's shoulder. And I'm just like, we got through it. We got through it. We made it. And 
that was just the semifinal. I remember driving back to the hotel after the game and just thinking, well, Sunday's going to be terrible because there's no way we're topping that. And obviously we got a chance to top it on, uh, on Sunday with a national title. Awesome stuff there from Adam. For me at least, as a broadcasting nut, listening to him take me through the Agumbawale call, it's like listening to a guy like LeBron after an NBA Finals game take me through the final possession in his post-game interview to hear Adam's process. Just fascinating. So big thanks to Adam. Again, that was just part one. Later in the week, you will get part two, in which Adam expands on his relationship with his father. So thank you so much for joining me here on the Mental Game Podcast. Again, I've been Sam Brief, and I will talk to you later this week. Adios.